The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with John Thomas Flynn, who is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Ask the CIO, SLED edition on Federal News Network. Now your host, John Thomas Flynn. Welcome, everyone. Our guest today is Alan Sharp, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. Welcome to Ask the CIO SLED edition, our state and local program, Alan. Great to have you on the air. I guess I should back on the air. Yes, it's great to be back. Thank you, John. Considering the times, we're doing this a little differently than in studio, but uh, uh, as you indicated earlier when we were talking about this, we're clearly getting the hang of this kind of thing, aren't we? Yeah, I think I'm getting Zoomed out like many people. It's like Uh, between Zoom cocktail hours and Zoom lunches and Zoom happy hours, it's going to be a bit much. Why don't you first tell us about your organization and your role at PTI and the CompTIA thing might be helpful to our audience. Yeah, about a year and a half ago, PTI merged in with CompTIA and it's really been a very pleasant experience. It's exceeded my expectations. Uh, PTI has been around for over 45 years serving cities and counties across the United States with some ties to some international uh, CIOs as well. CompTIA is the world's largest nonprofit independent group that provides professional certifications in network and infrastructure and cloud and the like. We provide uh, certification in leadership type skills having to do with certifying technology leaders and certifying uh, CIOs. We have an awards program, we do research, uh, but now with CompTIA, we're able to expand our reach and reach even more people across the country. Okay, Alan, as you recall, you and our mutual friend, Doug Robinson, the executive director at NASIO, you guys joined in the, uh, the Alan and Doug Show webinar almost exactly 90 days ago entitled Technology Forecast 2020, What State and Local Government Technology Officials Can Expect. Uh, I think your uh, report itself was the city and county technology workforce trends and highlights for 2020. Uh, at that time, your government survey reported that about 72% of cities and counties, CIOs that is, 72% expected their IT budgets to increase in the next fiscal year. Before we talk about the uh, coronavirus pandemic impact, tell us a little bit more about the forecast in those halcyon days in January. It's amazing to see how things have probably changed in just 90 days or less. Um, Yeah, I think the studies that we revealed, both Doug and I, revealed a fairly positive growth-like climate in terms of expenditures, training, getting more involved with cybersecurity, getting into workforce development, providing more training, more certification, retraining uh, individuals. It was one of the more happy pictures that I've witnessed in my nearly 16 years at the helm of PTI. Yeah, I agree. Now, however, what we're hearing, and we're in daily touch with CIOs and uh, from cities and counties across the country, it's a different picture. Yeah, um, let me ask you about that. It's only it's a definitely a new world. Uh, what are you hearing from your local government partners? Let's say on a scale of one to ten, uh, ten being little or no disruption of services and operation. Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, if ten is at the end of the scale being the most disruptive, they're at a twelve. 
Yeah. And there's some good news in this. Uh, in the stories that we're hearing, and, you know, again, we talk to these people every hour of the day. They are putting in incredible hours, but they're being recognized. Here's the good news. They're being recognized by their leadership as never before. All the years I've said these people should be at the table. They should be part of planning, not an afterthought. I think city leaders, public managers are realizing the important role that these people play and how they had to transform a work-based organization with physical locations to a virtual environment, including trying to figure out how do we bring the public into this picture through digital services, through meetings mm -hmm. uh, in ways that they never, ever had to do before. Certainly I, not in I the couldn't, And I couldn't agree with you more. I've had that conversation with a number of CIOs and Doug Robinson about the fact that, uh, and I'm going to get into that in depth uh, before we're done, but I know this pretty much all comes down to how effectively they've been able to deploy disaster recovery and continuity of operation plans. Tell us about that. Well, I think what we're finding is some deficiencies in those very things. Nobody, it, it, from all the plans, and I've been teaching this for years, uh, I don't think anybody contemplated um, being away from a physical structure for as long as we have. Uh, no one can contemplate. I think the, the time factor is what's really critical here. Most plans used to be, this is like seven or eight years ago, that to plan for a three-day be away kind of status. The, they could still resume operations, but these things that they envisioned would never take more than three days. We're into week number six now in many places. So that is a totally different paradigm. So what they've had to realize is that whatever they thought was not enough. When it comes to continuity of operations, it's like we have business operations that need to go on. I mean, people, I think one of the more uh, lighthearted things is how quickly local governments have had to adapt into figuring out ways to allow people to get married online. Uh, <laughs> Who would have thought? Now, yeah, they haven't figured out thought. divorce yet, John. The, the divorce is another issue, but marriage, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> is this one example? Permitting. Uh, online. I mean, even the smallest local government has something like 200 lines of business. Mm -hmm. And so most of them for the smaller and medium sized uh, localities were not able to keep up with the digitalization movement that had begun a few years ago. So those who have done really well have really done well. Those who didn't invest enough are really hurting right now. Yeah, I'll bet. Uh, one of the things that the uh, state governments were quickly responding to were the requirements involving uh, portable devices, I guess is the best word for it, and uh, VPM licensing, et, et cetera. I got to think with, uh, with the telework thing, that was the same problem with uh, the cities and towns, right? Yeah, it was volume and demand. And so that raised questions of capacity. Suddenly you had people who would not normally be considered one as a candidate or likely candidate for telework. I mean, normally you would assign certain people, the heads of public safety, fire and health, but this goes down the line. So the sheer volume of people suddenly finding themselves on their own did create some uh, challenges for VPN and licensing and the way in which people would communicate. Um, many people are uh, Microsoft shops and they hadn't really turned on Microsoft Teams, just as one mm -hmm. example. But the bigger issue is getting enough VPNs because it's really great to be able to respond quickly, but how do you secure the enterprise? And what if there's not enough equipment to go around? So we found that collectively, that there was not enough laptops to be distributed. Uh, mm -hmm. Laptop inventory is like minus a million. I mean, you can't get enough uh, good configured laptops right now. 
they figured that they needed more headsets. Well, you can't get headsets. You can't get cameras for those who didn't have decent lid cameras built into their laptop. Mm -hmm. And people wanted to use their own equipment, which raised questions about bring your own device management and device management in itself, because very often these things were never intended to be worked on in a government situation. So they had to load the right protections. All of this in a matter of days or hours, and most of this ad hoc. They weren't prepared. And then how do you support this 24-7 when the help desk, you know, was never adjusted, never configured to provide the kind of help from people like, my mic doesn't work. And, and you know, people have these basic problems. My camera won't turn on. And we've all had that. Even those of us who think we know it all, there are times when you need to figure out what is it that uh, is causing my sound not to work or my camera. And so you have people who've never done this before. Then we found that people didn't have decent broadband at home. They didn't think they needed mm -hmm. it. And so then they were scrambling for uh, mobile hotspots. This is where the vendor community, God bless them, they came through. In many cases, donated equipment. Vendors helped with VPN licenses. Uh, this has been one of the most interesting uh, moments of collaboration between the private sector, the vendor community, and local government CIOs. It's been amazing and amazingly positive. Well, that's good news. And I, I, like, like you said, I think there's a number of things that can come out of this. Certainly, there's going to be some best practices developed and also some worst practices that will come to light. But again, that'll give, uh, give everybody an opportunity to get their act together. You know, um, Rahm Emanuel, Obama's chief of staff and, and Chicago mayor, former mayor, he once said that never let a good crisis go to waste. And that's been mentioned a lot uh, over the last several months. But speaking of, uh, of that, did the pandemic emergency, did it spark some new and innovative ways I was thinking it might have uh, facilitated and, and helped expedite procurements and system upgrades. What are some of the uh, other good news that have come out of this problem? Well, categorically, the first might be governance <clears throat> in terms of streamlining policies. And I think public senior public managers were very quick that when someone came to them, where it may have taken weeks or months of agonizing decision-making about changing this or changing that. We found public management at the senior level been tremendously cooperative. They get it. They realize what's at stake. So when it comes to policy, streamlining things such as procurement, you know, going to, if, you ha if they had to, going to a Best Buy or going to uh, unorthodox means of getting pieces of equipment, they were given the green light. So they were getting out of the bureaucracy that kind of held them back. The other things were the uh, sheer brilliance in coming up with workarounds uh, having to do with new portals to better protect the main system itself. I mean, they had like, created mobile portals that many of the systems the telework folks would channel into. Uh, so as a kind of a separate gateway so that they could kind of have a better handle of the kind of data needs and security protections that were not afforded sure. under the regular network circumstance. Sure. So that would be a very clever kind of workaround. Let me just interrupt there. I'm sorry, sure. Alan. We'll have to take a short break now. Our guest today is Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. You're listening to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. One theory why people get swept up by false information is because of a motivation to believe and rationalize a political stance. But David Rand, a cognitive scientist at MIT, thinks it's more likely simple inattention or mental laziness, and he sees this as a workable engineering challenge. The idea of getting people to think more 
team is more tractable than the idea of getting people to be less partisan. He thinks most people can easily sort fact from fiction if they just stop and think. Problem is, lots of people speed through posts while relaxing, and news stories are interspersed with family and animal pictures. The question is, how can you get people to still enjoy it? but think more critically about the stuff that is important to think about. So Rand is building elements into social media platforms that he hopes will trigger critical thinking and reflection about content before people decide to believe or share it. To find out more, go to www.nae.edu radio. With the National Academy of Engineering, Randy Atkins, Federal News Network. In these uncertain times, Federal News Network can help you navigate your agency's response to coronavirus. Download our app and read our coronavirus resource page with the latest news and information on your agency's evolving telework, pay and leave policies, acquisition guidance, and what this all means for your TSP. We are here to serve you, the dedicated federal employees and contractors who continue to serve your mission. The Federal News Network app, available on the App Store and on Google Play. Hi, this is Senior Correspondent Mike Causey. In Washington, we follow the money, especially since it's yours every week on your turn with Mike Causey. Whether it's your pay raise, a major change to your retirement package, or the chances of rifts or buyouts, we're on it because we know how hard you work and what it means to you. Give us a listen Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m. on Federal News Network or subscribe to your turn on iTunes or Podcast One. When we need help, we turn to government. When government needs help, they turn to Federal News Network. Federal News Network, helping feds meet their mission. Welcome back to Ask the CIO Sled Edition on Federal News Network. I'm John Thomas Flynn. My guest today is Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. Alan, before the break, we were discussing some of the good news that has come out of this madness and it really has given an opportunity of uh, taking advantage of a crisis. Why don't you continue with some of the things that your organization has identified? I think, as I said, the, the governance and the policies was one part, and we were just getting into some of the innovations having to do with business processes that normally uh, the CIO and, and that person's team would might be called upon as an afterthought. But, you know, things like I mentioned marriage online, permitting online, many of these things did not exist. They were on many people's wish list. The advanced use of GIS, the advanced use of social media, they were very clever in working with the vendor community in securing devices, getting the tools they needed and provided it to the workforce. I mean, they still play a very important support role, but far more senior, far more strategic. So the respect that has been bestowed upon these technology professionals has never been higher. I think people are realizing how dependent they are how much respect they have in the fact that these people are putting in 14, 15 hour days. And what's really remarkable is they're not complaining. They're enjoying the fact that they feel useful, that they're really helping. In many cases, mission critical kind of operations, like making sure that 311 call centers are very much in sync with what's going on with 911, answering those important questions about COVID and about other ailments. We almost forget that there are other things going on. People have heart attacks, people have diabetes, uh, people break legs. So there are other kind of things that people are concerned about in terms of basic benefits. Where do I go? How do I turn? So they've actually overnight had to transform their websites into kind of like a virtual or visual EOC, 
Emergency Operations Center for the public. So they've been very involved working with public information officers uh, and others that are trying to reach the public to inform them through the various mechanisms that are out there. And they're learning along the way. They're realizing what works, what doesn't work. Uh, I think the latest trend, uh, given the duration, is the whole idea of how do we turn uh, meetings that uh, once happened at City Hall into a virtual meeting. I've identified at least 11 factors that they have to check and investigate just to make that work. <laughs> What are some of those? Well, you know, the whole issue of what are the guiding principles and policy? You know, in some cases, local governments really uh, don't allow uh, for uh, people not to be physically present. So the question then becomes, and this is not a technology issue. This is a policy issue that basically says we have to declare an emergency and find a workaround. Most have been able to do that. The second thing that they have to worry about, now we get into the technical part, is capacity. You know, it's one thing. Uh, to go to City Hall. And I think by design, not everybody goes to these meetings. <laughs> I mean, you may have your pet issue and you may show up for that pet issue, but now there's such a demand with people being at home, the demand for being present when this has now been made that much easier, how do we make sure we have enough connectivity that will not crash your website, which is where these meetings are, they're mostly web-based. So they have to plan for capacity. They have to choose the platform, which is interesting. We've heard about Zoom bombing. We've heard about security issues. You know, they get into, can we assign everybody a unique uh, password? So they have criteria, you know, do I use WebEx? Do I use GoToMeeting? Do I use Zoom? Do I use one of the others? Do I use RingSet? There are so many platforms, but each one has certain advantages. Some are user-friendly, some are not as user-friendly. So they've got to decide what is the best platform. The fourth one would be, how do I secure the enterprise? What kind of mechanisms can I use to make sure that authorized people only uh, are uh, indeed speaking, they are who they say they are. How do we train people? I mean, any decent meeting needs to have a help desk right there so that whether it be internal to the, the staff and to the councilmen uh, or women or the outside, meaning I can't, uh, they, they, I'm not being heard, what's going on, or I'm not getting anything. So now we have to split help and training to be both inward facing and external facing. And that's both training. And then the sixth one is obviously support. Some people are asking for the ability to poll. Well, that sounds like nice, but how do the polls get then recorded? Where are they recorded? How are they uh, recorded? But also do we then need to have, coming back to policy, does it have to tie back to an individual? Or is the sheer numbers, okay, how do we verify that the whatever polling um, is, is both honest uh, and democratic? Then you have record and store. Uh, you know, having a meeting is nice, but me meetings have to be recorded. Uh, they have to be stored somewhere. People should be able to look at it at a later time, which raises questions. Will it be indexed? Uh, will they be able to find things? Can they chunk it up so that people can find the issue that, um, that they may be most interested in? They have to make sure their website portal is up to date with all the patches to make sure that that doesn't become the single point of failure. I mentioned indexing and then closed meeting versus open meeting. How do you make sure that some meetings that need to be closed are and are protected and open meetings are open and also protected, but for different reasons? In a short amount of time, those were 11 things that people have to worry about when it comes to having open meetings uh, for the public or for decision makers. Let me ask you a question here. I uh, kind of referred to it earlier and I assume that uh, 
the gloves have come off in terms of uh, trying to overcome the, the traditional and centuries-old bureaucratic ways that procurements work in government, whether it's uh, inside the Beltway or the states or locals, locals as well, they must so throw some of those rules out the door to do things like uh, institute procurements of all these devices we're talking about. And not to mention the, uh, the tech surges where uh, organizations at all these different public sector levels have brought in their, their technology partners to patch holes and and fix some old systems that aren't working well, particularly when they get crunched, like uh, UI, unemployment insurance that we'll talk about in a little bit. Are those things happening? Are they somehow getting around the, the usual bureau reg, bureaucratic regulations that uh, stymie a lot of the uh, active procurements that are required at a time like this? The magic word, John, is the word temporary that you mentioned. <laughs> so, um, you know, the question will be, will this translate into a, a, a re-examination of the policies that may have hurt people in the past? But temporarily, yes. Um, they're finding a, a really amazing workarounds, just like open meetings. I mean, there are, they're trying to find ways to get around some laws that never contemplated what we're dealing with today. So procurement uh, is a good thing. Uh, when executed correctly, but I know many local government procurement officers, they've been frustrated too. So it, it, it doesn't lie just with one. It is a cumbersome process that is made more cumbersome by abuses of the past. And like so often in government, the, uh, the fixes sometimes make things worse because of one exception that's something that happened somewhere else. I think this is going to cause a re-examination and decide which innovations should be made more permanent. Uh, but that's going to take some work. Uh -huh. It's interesting at the state level, uh, I think by, by most of what I've uh, seen and read, uh, they believe in California that Governor, uh, Governor Newsom has done an excellent job, but in, except in one regard, uh, you know, he decided to do a billion dollar procurement for masks, uh, masks and ventilators, I forget, maybe both, from China. And the, it really has got, caused a huge uh, pushback from the legislators that uh, because the governor is refusing to uh, uh, articulate the details of the procurement. So yeah, no good deed goes unpunished these days. And sure. uh, like you say, it's temporary, but uh, geez, you know, things have to move pretty fast if you're going to prevent the kind of things that can happen here. And those are deaths and serious uh, rehabilitation. Well, it, it lives depend upon many of these things. And I think what's going to happen again is that this is going to be, it's a good wake up call. I think this is going to be built in to uh, DR plans and coup plans. In other words, uh, we're already trying to remind people, you're in crisis mode, write down lessons learned. What is it that you would like to, what would you have done differently? And most people say, I wish my DR plan called for, uh, you know, a greater number of teleworkers or mm -hmm. that I had an inventory of equipment that I could have distributed more quickly. The list goes on. So I am asking people, and maybe a year from now, we should have another conversation about lessons learned as things calm down. And the good news is I believe they will. Yes, I, 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 sooner or later that's got to happen. Hopefully we won't have, won't have some bounce back in the, in the fall like some are uh, worried and some are, are predicting. Alan, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. It's been great to hear about uh, uh, things going on at the local level today. John, always a pleasure and thank you for the opportunity. I want to thank our guest, Alan Shark, Executive Director of the Public Technology Institute. And thank all of you for listening. 
Content from this state and local program, which also includes curated news and original articles by yours truly and other more esteemed authors, is part of the recently expanded AskTheCIO.com. Hope you can join us again each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time or listen to a podcast afterwards. Until then, bye for now. I'm John Thomas Flynn. You've been listening to Ask the CIO, Sled Edition with John Thomas Flynn on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.